Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Laura Lynch, and you're listening to What on Earth? It has all the makings of a modern-day gold rush, but this time the minerals of the moment include lithium, cobalt, and graphite, the vital ingredients for the batteries that power electric vehicles. Demand is growing, and Canada's got the goods to help drive down emissions. The challenges, though, are several. No supply chain nor strong manufacturing base yet, and already some cries of concern over potential mine sites. People are not uh, going to want to sacrifice that area without knowing really the impacts that it's going to have. Today, we'll talk about the trade-offs and whether it's worth it in the name of climate change. When the International Energy Agency announced this month that the world needs to put a halt to any new fossil fuel extraction, it also called for an end to gas vehicle sales by 2035. And that means a lot more demand for electric vehicles and the batteries they use. Joanna Kiriatsis wants those batteries to be made here in Canada. She's a senior policy advisor with Clean Energy Canada, and the group recently published a report on building the country's battery supply chain. Joanna, hello. Hi, Laura. How are you? Fine, thank you. Um, batteries aren't front and center for most of us when it comes to climate solutions, but you consider them to be a linchpin. Why? Well, if we want to transition to a fully clean energy economy, which means electrifying our buildings, our cars, our buses, our trucks, and powering all of those things with clean electricity, then we're going to need the batteries to do that. And that means really ramping up global production. Well, then why should Canada be getting into this? Well, it's a major economic opportunity for many of our different sectors of our economy. It should be part of the future strategy for mining, manufacturing, auto, and clean tech. And right now, most of the battery production happens in three countries, Japan, South Korea, and China. But there's about to be a real seismic shift in North America with the U.S. under Biden going big on EVs and their batteries. And so there's an opportunity for Canada to be feeding into that growing North American demand for EVs and batteries. Well, that's interesting, though, because Biden's made it pretty clear that what he wants are the raw materials from Canada and from other countries and have the jobs making those batteries stay in the United States. So is that Canada's role then, its traditional role of bringing the raw materials and letting someone else refine them? Well, that's certainly the risk. Back in Canada's history, whether it's with oil and gas or lumber, we have produced the raw materials and then let other countries um, capture the jobs and, and the economic opportunity and even the intellectual property related with the other parts of the supply chain. Um, but this time, Canada's got to, you know, go a different way. We should not just be extracting and supplying raw materials. We've got a lot to offer. You know, we have world-leading battery researchers. Uh, we've got a really strong automotive parts supply chain. And so, 
we need to be leveraging these strengths and also plugging into our clean electricity grid to be producing, you know, some of the cleanest, most sustainable batteries in the world. There's one other thing about the, what Biden is proposing and the part of the reason why he wants to get the materials from other countries is so that he doesn't have to deal with the not-in-my-backyard syndrome of people not wanting mines to be opened up for the kinds of raw materials that are needed for batteries. He doesn't want to have fights with environmentalists. He doesn't want to have fights with indigenous peoples. You're going to have the same thing here. Absolutely. And that that is a real challenge of the clean energy transition. Whether it's solar panels and wind turbines or EVs and their batteries, we will need some raw materials to feed into those technologies, which means, at least in the short term, some more mining. Um, And so in order to square our environmental outcomes or, or goals with our economic growth, we need to make sure Canadian mining projects are doing this in the clean most responsible way possible. We are speaking to uh, the chief of a a First Nation in Quebec that is adamantly opposed to a new lithium mine that's being proposed. Our exploration is ongoing right now. What could you say to people like that who just flatly say no to this? How can you convince them that it, it should be otherwise? I think it's all about trade-offs, right? You know, the goal here is to avert the worst impacts of climate change by transitioning our economy to cleaner energy systems and cleaner technology. And so someone in the world is going to have to produce some of these raw materials, again, at least in the short term. I think once we do build up this circular economy and our recycling capacities, then we'll be able to reduce the need for new mines and, and you know, new sources of raw material in the future. But, but in the meantime, you're asking them to make the sacrifice for the greater good. If it's not the environmental damage uh, from mining projects, it's the damage from climate impacts. And so trying to strike that balance and figure out how can we avert the worst. All right, let me ask you this. Quebec already has mining, battery manufacturing and electric heavy truck and bus makers. So I'm wondering what you think the rest of the country can learn from what's happening in Quebec. It's taken a really thoughtful and deliberate approach. First, looking at, you know, what are our regional strengths and where can we most compete? Uh, And then it has put in place targeted measures, whether it's investing in some of those strategic mining projects. It's really trying to become a leader in battery recycling and build up that sector. Maybe most importantly, Quebec has done a great job of creating local demand for EVs and batteries. You know, growing the local demand for these products really helps to support the local industry. Now, can I come back to where we started, which was the International Energy Agency? It's calling for an end to gas-powered vehicle sales in 14 years. In your report, uh, Clean Energy Canada is talking about what needs to happen in the next year. Why do things need to move so quickly? Canada's really starting from behind here. And so right now, especially when we're about to see North American demand for EVs and batteries grow under Biden's American jobs plan, Canada has an opportunity to really feed into this industry, but we need to move fast. Okay, so what needs to happen? to move fast. (laughs) We need to coordinate players in Canada from government decision makers to industry stakeholders along the supply chain to figure out a vision for Canada's battery industry and develop an action plan to seize that opportunity. 
That sounds like Sac- months. <laughs> <laughs> well, the EU did it in six months. Okay. The EU launched the EU Battery Alliance in six months. So that's the gold standard. And uh, that's what we're advocating Canada do. The second action would be to engage with the U.S. and launch that North American Battery Alliance. And what, what's at stake if this, if this just doesn't happen or doesn't happen quickly enough? Uh, well, Number one, we could lose our existing auto sector. Canada in the last 20 years has seen a downward trend in our auto sector, but recent investments to bring EV production here from Ford Motors, General Motors, and even Stellantis is is showing a bright spot on the horizon. So we want to be able to anchor that industry and building a domestic battery supply chain can help to do that. If we don't, then we could lose auto jobs We could lose the opportunity to leverage these leading clean tech companies like the battery recycling companies, and we could lose those jobs to other countries. Well, maybe we'll check back with you in six months from now to see how we're doing then. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Laura. Competition to win the EV race may be fierce, but a Canadian supply chain from metals to batteries is starting to hum beneath the surface. Couldn't we get the world's attention as it transitions to zero emissions vehicle that everything you need is here in Canada? That's Flavio Volpe, the president of the Canadian Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association. Volpe put out a challenge to the auto industry to pull together all of the design, parts and technology needed for a made-in-Canada electric car. It's called Project Arrow, after the Avro Arrow, a 1950s fighter jet built during the Cold War. Back then, the federal government issued an invitation to industry. And with a clean sheet, Canadian engineers and designers and manufacturers came up with a super fighter that was twice as fast and flew twice as high as anything else that had come before it. Volpe is similarly looking at all of it, gears, machinery, computer systems, the works. The catch? All of the works have to be domestic. Uh, Ambitious maybe, but the response has been overwhelming from the sector. Nearly 400 companies rushed to contribute, with offers coming in from coast to coast. Canada and especially southwestern Ontario and Quebec, without forgetting BC and uh, Alberta and Nova Scotia, are IT hubs. Let's build something to demonstrate to everybody who's going to make cars around the world that when you need the supplies, everything from the dirt in the ground to advanced autonomous technologies, they're here. The car is just a concept right now, but his theory checks out. Everything could be sourced and built in Canada. Volpe says that means more jobs here at home. And it's practical. The stuff industry needs to make an EV is heavy. Keeping it local can cut emissions from transporting batteries and metals. Big, big quantities of lithium and nickel and cobalt and graphite um, have to be close to where the assembly plants are. And in Canada, we've got nine assembly plants. And this is not 18th and 19th century mercantilism. Uh, This stuff is, it's the new gold rush. Yeah, new gold rush, but no Wild West this time around. There are higher standards for environmental protection, along with Indigenous consultation and involvement. Yes, we should be careful, and absolutely we should do this the right way, and everybody should be a part, and especially Indigenous populations. I think we've learned through other energy projects across this country that uh, that if you don't uh, partner, you don't get to play. 
Weighing the opportunities and the needs of the climate against costs is critical. For Volpe, though, it is an opportunity that may only come once. If we don't get Canadian companies at the head of some of the product decisions and product design, and, and that's both in the car and in the infrastructure, then we'll have missed the greatest opportunity for the Canadian auto sector in 100 years. A key component of electric vehicle batteries is lithium, a silvery white element that's been nicknamed white gold. The element is coveted for its ability to help batteries charge better and last longer. But getting at the mineral means new mining projects in Canada, and some are worried about the potential harm to people and habitat. Steve Matthias is chief of Longpoint First Nation. His community is concerned about lithium exploration by an Australian company called Siona that's happening around Lake Simal in western Quebec. Chief Matthias, thank you for joining us. Glad to join you, uh, Laura. Can you first just tell me about the area where Siona Mining is exploring for lithium? Well, it's not very far from my community. It's right next to the Ottawa River, and the Ottawa River flows through the uh, Lake Simard. My community has very strong ties with that area. We practice a lot of our traditional activities in that area, hunting, fishing, and we occupy that area. And now Siona informed us through a PowerPoint presentation, they were going to um, create an open mine pit. That raised a lot of concern in the community. There was a petition created on online. And last I checked, there was over 8,000 people that have signed it. People are very concerned of the impact that this development can have on our traditional way of life and on the water, on the fauna and the wildlife. You know, they're very uh, concerned about the environmental impact that it's going to have. So we know that the objective of the company is to exploit lithium for batteries and for cars. Chief, we, we actually contacted Siona and the company says it has undertaken a number of consultations with Long Point First Nations. What do you say to that? They came roughly about two years and a half ago. I think it was in 2018. They came and make a presentation at the General Assembly in the community. And that's the only public appearance that they ever made in the community. And they've told us that they had a few claims and that they just wanted to go and do a little bit of drilling in that area and they offered employment for the people here in the community. So just for that exploration aspect, you know, the community, the General Assembly said, OK, we're OK that you could go over there and drill and hire five or six people from the community. That lasted a couple of months, and uh, the cores that they extracted from the land, they were going to send that to a lab to get it analyzed, and that we had asked him to share the findings of that. And they never did until they, uh, they come back this year, and they also informed us that they bought several dozen of claims around the Lake Simard. Actually, they bought everything from the north and right up to the east of Lake Simard, so you don't think uh, that you don't think they've been consulting nearly enough? Oh no, no, no. And I just want to ask you something else because the company also said to us that it won't undertake any activities at Tensim without the necessary support of the Long Point First Nation and all other key stakeholders. What's your reaction to that? Well, that's good news because we wanted them to suspend. You know, we asked the government to suspend. You know, their permits. 
because there's too much reaction in the community. People are afraid of what can happen there. If they choose to collaborate, well, good. I think that's the, the proper way of dealing with the situation. But what does collaboration mean to you? Do you see the nation wanting to get involved in the actual mining for lithium? We're, we're right in a very sensitive area. People are not going to want to sacrifice, you know, that area without knowing really the impacts that it's going to have. The only thing people have in their mind right now is that they're going to pollute the water. They're going to create this big open pit mine because there is another open pit mine on the Algonquin Territory in the town of uh, Malartic. And that's the biggest open pit mine in Canada. And uh, we see the impacts that's having over there. And that's what scares a lot of people here. So are you rejecting it outright or, or are you willing to negotiate? Well, I think we're rejecting it outright right now. Just with the bit of information that we have, there's no way that we're going to support it. Well, can I put something to you then? Because we've heard this from other guests, uh, that people, um, First Nations among them, have to be prepared to make sacrifices for the good of the planet in the sense that th- this material needs to be mined so that there can be electric cars to reduce emissions. So, in effect, you're being asked to make a sacrifice for the good of the planet. What do you say to that? That remains to be proven yet to compare the impact that it's going to have on the land, you know, with the environmental impact and the impact on our traditional way of life compared to those gas emissions that they claim that it's better for the planet. You know, we've made a lot of sacrifices here in in my community. My community was uh, flooded to different occasions. And we were told, you know, it was for the betterment, you know, to have clean energy, hydro, electricity. And we were promised, you know, houses in, in order that they're going to relocate us now. that. And nothing has been uh, lived up to their promises. So our ancestors and our elders remind us of that. And they keep telling us, you know, that the government and the industry always told us, we'll deal with you later, you know, but we have to develop this and then we're going to deal with you after. And it's always later, later in our case, and later never comes. There's no trust between us and the uh, the industry. We're supposed to be in this context of reconciliation, you know, but my God, you know, uh, the different files that we're working on, it takes forever. So you're happy to let the lithium just stay in the ground? I'm okay with it. I think for the benefit of my people and for a traditional way of life, because we really depend on that. If that's taken away from us, that's a huge sacrifice. There's some sacrifices that we're not willing to make based on our past experience. Chief Matthias, I thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Laura, and thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. So 
So it seems there are potential environmental trade-offs when it comes to lithium. But growing demand has people racing for market share and drumming up greener solutions to sourcing it. Amanda Hall is the CEO and founder of Summit Nanotech, a Calgary-based startup pioneering a more environmentally sensitive way to mine lithium. Hello. Hello. Your background is in potash mining and oil and gas in Alberta and Saskatchewan. How did those experiences lead you to lithium? Well, resource extraction is um, it's a very familiar field for me. And so my experience in the potash mining sector, and then once I transitioned into oil and gas, um, everything that I learned from those two sectors feeds directly into lithium extraction. It was probably the pressure from the oil and gas sector not doing well. For years, my stability and my salary was based on the oil and gas sector, which was kind of like a yo-yo. The price of oil, you know, it's so volatile. And so I started looking at a way that I could future-proof my own career. And I looked at the potential of a growing, exciting new sector uh, in lithium. And I did what I call the Hail Mary. I just went for it (laughs) and decided to jump headfirst into the lithium space and try to make an impact there. So you started to get into it and you wanted to find um, a way to mine it. And what are the current problems with lithium mining that Summit Nanotech is trying to solve? So traditionally, there's hard rock mining where you take rocks, you grind up the rocks, you dissolve the rocks in acid, and then you continue uh, high temperature, high pressure processes until the lithium gets released and then you can isolate it and convert it into a product that can go to a battery manufacturer. So that's one method. The other method, which is a much more gentle way, is just by pulling brine out of the ground, so salt water, and then extracting the lithium from that salt water. And, and how, how does it uh, measure up in terms of land use and water consumption? Yeah, so this is where the challenges lie with the brine processing methods that are used today. Um, And so they take brine from underground and they evaporate the water out of that brine for about 18 months. They use these evaporation ponds to concentrate the lithium, letting the sun evaporation do the job of getting rid of some of the impurities. And then they take the lithium-rich brine to a refinery and they refine it using kind of traditional high-temperature, high-pressure processes. The process uses a lot of fresh water. It uses high energy. It uses a lot of land. Like those evaporation ponds are huge. And so what our technology does is it compresses everything down into a really small little little box, (laughs) essentially. And so the processing then going forward is much smaller scale. And we create a lot less waste. We don't use any fresh water. We reduce land use area. We reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so the process is just a heck of a lot smarter, honestly. Um, And then on top of all that, it's more economic. It's cheaper operating costs. And we double yield, which means we get twice as much lithium out of the same volume of brine coming out of the ground that the traditional process does. You've already touched on this, but I'm wondering if you can explain in a way that people like me can understand how you extract the lithium from the brine water? Uh, So we take salt water out of the ground and we basically put it in a column and inside that column are uh, what we call sorbents, but they're like sponges that suck lithium out of the brine and they're very selective to lithium. So they won't take any other ions except the lithium ions. And then we kind of pull the plug at the bottom and the brine without lithium goes through to the bottom. And then we put that back underground because we don't need it for anything else. 
but then the sponges now that are full of lithium, they need to be rinsed. So we use water to rinse the sponge to pull the lithium back out of that sponge and move it into the next stage of the process. Uh, so the sponge is so selective for lithium that we get over 95% of the lithium out of the brine in that first step. And so it makes the, the yield of the lithium in downstream processes really high. But the thing is, Alberta has lithium in brine water, um, including waste from oil and gas, but you're, you're launching the technology in Chile. Why not Alberta? It's just a business decision. We get 10 times more revenue from a barrel of brine in South America than we would from a barrel of brine in Canada. And so for my fastest path to recurring revenue, I need to go international first. The nice thing about Alberta is that we have all the infrastructure in place to pull the brine out of the ground and we even have disposal wells drilled. So we don't have to worry about the capital costs of doing that part of the process. But once the brine is at the surface, you can imagine that it's got oil mixed in with it. It also has H2S gas mixed in with it. And sometimes there's silica, sometimes there's carbonates, like there's other things mixed into it that make it more difficult to process. Okay, so Chile's brine water is in, in effect, what, cleaner? It's cleaner and it's richer, so more than 10 times the lithium in the same bucket of brine, essentially. Well, given all that, then what, what, what do you think the future is of lithium mining in Canada? I'm really hopeful that, that it's something that we'll be able to continue to work on. Um, we're working with lots of other technology companies in Alberta to try and unlock the lithium here. We're trying to think of ways to combine different technologies to make the process become more economic and go more smoothly. And so, you know, there are companies with technology that can remove the hydrocarbons really effectively. Do you think you will be working more in Canada down the road? Down the road, absolutely. We definitely will, especially if we have some of the big oil and gas companies supporting the, the research and development. That will make a big difference because they have big war chests of money. <laughs> you know, a little startup like me, it's like we have very, very limited funds. Um, and so we just have to be careful how we spend that money. Okay. Amanda, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was really great to talk to you. With every supply chain, there's a beginning and an end. But the end for an EV battery may never come if a Quebec-based startup has anything to do with it. So hello everyone, my name is Jean-Christophe Lambert and I am the business development manager for Lithium Recycling. Lithium is pioneering a new method to squeeze essential materials out of used car batteries. But first, Lambert says they have to do something more old-fashioned. We are planning to open our first shredding operation of the process. Shredding? At the end. Yep. So we do the first step is shredding. Uh, whenever. That... Yep. Shredding. That word threw me. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you the, the only times I've heard the word shredding used in the past was for, for, for shredding paper or um, mm -hmm. on, being on the mountain and shredding a slope. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, in, in the car recycling business, um, shredders are often used, you know, where it's it's really a shredder where you have flakes of plastics, aluminum, copper on one side, and um, we extract the, the, the key minerals on the other end. It's that second step that's patented by the company. Instead of burning the battery to extract the good stuff, it puts what's left after shredding into a kind of acid bath and harvests 95% of what was in the battery to be used again. And according to Lambert, not just once. 
for example, if we were to receive a recycled battery in the future, you know, we could also recycle it and go back to the minerals again and again and again. So, um, and this is what is required, I think, to make sure that our electrification efforts come to a, a positive ending. You know, we want to make sure that we, at some point, limit the, the mining of these minerals as much as we can and reduce the footprint on a global scale uh, by using recycling. There's also the tantalizing prospect of no more prospecting for the minerals once there's enough of a supply of batteries to close the circle. It could get to that eventually. I think that, you know, all the industries today are trying to see how we, they can get to a really carbon neutral uh, supply chain. Uh, this will take obviously a lot of time. Uh, mining is going to be the predominant source of materials for a few decades still, unfortunately. But um, at, at one point, we, ca we can get there. I think this is where we, the industry as a whole needs to go to. Even if the short-term reality includes the need to mine the earth in order to save the planet. That does it for us this week. If you haven't given us a review yet, please do and tell a friend because it helps move the climate conversation forward. Thanks to the What on Earth team, associate producers Jennifer Van Evra and Serena Renner, producer Lisa Johnson. Our engineer is Matthias Wolfson. This week, Molly Siegel is our senior producer. I'm Laura Lynch. Thank you for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.